Well, uh, hello everyone and welcome to one more episode of Tactical Precision Moments. Uh, this is the name we got for this, Brian. Sorry, I didn't tell you, but there's a name. Um, it's, a pro it's a podcast and it's brought to you by the official school of Tactical Precision. On each episode, we invite one coach and talk to him or her for about 30 minutes and try to extract as much juice as possible from their experiences. Uh, we'll try to uh, invite coaches from all over the world with different kinds of cultures and, and different kinds of experiences. So that's what we're going to do. So thank you everyone for staying tuned and keep listening because today we have a very special guest for us. Uh, follow our social media, subscribe our channels and keep supporting us as you, as you always do. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, you name it. And uh, speaking of which, by the way, kids, please stay away from screens and social media. They lead you nowhere, except if it's our channel. With no further ado, let me introduce you all listeners to Brian Zwaschka from California. I never know if I say your name right or not. Sorry, one more time about that. From That's the perfect. United States of America. He's currently, uh, and you will correct me, correct me shortly after I say this, and, and for the last 13 seasons, the head coach of the Fresno State women's soccer team. And we thank you for accepting our invitation for this. It's an absolute honor for us to have you, Brian. Thank you. It's an honor for me to uh, be part of this. Well, I'd like to uh, maybe start with that before the first question. 13 seasons, it's a lot. Um, did you ever think you'd go so far? Uh, how's, how's it like to be 13 years in a row in a, in a, in a club? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it goes fast, <laughs> to, to be honest. But, uh, you know, when you, when you take a position, I remember my first contract was actually for five years, which is becoming less and less common uh, as it is. But uh, when, you, when you first have that contract, of course, you're thinking, okay, I need to do something right in these five years, either to, either to advance my career uh, in the same position or move to another position. And, and here I am 13 seasons in, so something's been going, <laughs> going okay. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, can you, can you uh, tell us please a little bit about your path as a coach? Okay. Well, I have been like most people playing the game, you know, from a pretty young age. Uh, here in the United States, the game certainly wasn't nearly as popular as it is now or as accessible as it is now uh, compared to when I was growing up. So it was a challenge, but uh, but it was because of, you know, people that had immigrated from other countries around the world that really were responsible, I think, across the country for bringing the game to smaller communities. And at some point I started playing and fell in love with it and just carried on playing and here athletics and academics is a model that is like nowhere else in the world. So it's very typical to play in your, in your school environment in your school setting. And so I did that through 
high school and in the college uh, uh, environment as well. I played for four seasons while I was earning my, my degree. And then after that, I ended up playing semi-professionally and professionally for as long as I could till I was about, uh, about 30. And along the way, I was coaching uh, youth teams and camps and individual trainings and things like that uh, to make a living, but also to, to stay connected in, in the game and, and share the things that I was learning along the way. So, and I always enjoyed that. So uh, it was probably pretty natural at some point when I was, when I was gonna be done playing that, that uh, I would carry on uh, in the game in some way and, and coaching has been that, that vehicle. So uh, I actually didn't finish my college degree originally. And so when I was done playing uh, professionally, I actually returned to finish my degree. And that was when I actually got into college coaching because that was part of my agreement uh, with the university to finish my degree was to actually help with the, with the men's program. And so that was a great, uh, a great kickstart in, in, in both ways to finish my degree, as well as uh, uh, get involved with the, the college game. So yeah, and then, and then from there, uh, at some point I, I moved uh, over to the women's side uh, in, a, in a really good position. Uh, and since I've moved around the country and, and have now ended up in California at Fresno State and uh, and in our community too, we we formerly had a, a, a semi-professional team here locally that that uh, played a short season over the summer, which actually I became the head coach of uh, for a couple of seasons, and that worked really well because it didn't interfere with my university position. Uh, and since uh, there's a really cool project, since then. Uh, a, a local investor has actually purchased that and is turning it into a full-fledged professional team. Uh, so that's a really exciting project that's happening here in our community as well. So that's called Central Valley Fuego. And uh, the league is uh, uh, two leagues below MLS. Uh, and they'll look for some kind of promotion into uh, the championship, which is the second, the second league within, within five years is the, is the plan. So building a new stadium and, uh, and, and those types of things are underway. So it's a really cool project here locally that, that I'll also be assisting with. Yeah. Well, one idea, one main idea that I have about the, the United States, it's something that emerges from that is that when you guys put something in your head, it goes ahead really fast. Uh, you put in practice uh, whatever means you have and whatever is necessary to start something. And that's something that we should learn from, at least here in Portugal. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, soccer has been growing a lot in the States, as you said. It, 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 it was quite different uh, back in your days when you were playing. Well, not that long ago, you played with us here here in Porto, and you still have it. Let me. Let me... <laughs> maybe um, maybe not the movement so much. <laughs> but in in a, in a country that is so strong in basketball, football, baseball, among other gymnastics and even even surfing, uh, do do you think that soccer already has its its space in sports there? I think that 
that's something that certainly has grown significantly and in particular in the professional uh, ranks with the MLS. If you think about it, when, when the league started, there were eight teams. And now I think there's slated like 33 teams across the country and, and don't get me wrong. It's obviously a massive country. So, um, so there's still a lot of areas that are probably not really served by quote unquote, a local team, you know, uh, but, but certainly regionally it's, it's covering most bases at this point. And, uh, and, and those are the types of things that, that it needs because, you know, with the professional teams and the professional games and professional leagues, that's where TV comes into play. And we, we know that with TV and other forms of media, that's where the, where the real exposure happens. And, and so that's obviously, you know, a, a combination of, of responsibility for the, Kind of explosion that's happened with the, with the game, but uh, but equally uh, this USL league that has essentially taken responsibility for the lower tiers of of the game in our country, it, that's exploded and gotten a lot more interest as well because you know we're a, we're a country where the sports happen on a franchise basis. So somebody with you know just a ridiculous amount of money can decide to purchase, you know, a franchise and, and everything has to be right. But, but we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and, and what the, what the USL represents is, is uh, 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 a better, a better sort of combination of entry points into leagues. So the championship would be considered the second division and and obviously it's not on the scale, even though the, the caliber might not be that, that different from MLS. Uh, it's not on the scale in terms of responsibilities for the clubs financially to exist. Uh, uh, and then the next tier down is USL League One, which is overall the third level, which is where our local team will be, will be entering uh, play. And, and again, that, offers yet another entry point that's a little bit lower financially uh, that, uh, that allows the exposure for more, more players, more, more opportunities for people to, to expand into professional at a lower league. And, uh, and then below that, the USL has all, also been responsible uh, along with some other leagues uh, for expanding the amateur senior game. Uh, so semi-professional and uh, and that's just exploded as well because financially the entry point for a local community into those leagues is is a lot more doable and and so the all these things have you know emerged uh, and improved over the last you know 20 years uh, along with MLS and so the the real infrastructure is 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 finally is finally becoming properly established. And uh, the only disappointment is probably that there isn't going to be promotion and relegation, but the closest thing maybe we can come to uh, uh, that experience is that we do have the U.S. Open Cup, which is similar like to the FA Cup in England and, and, uh, and cups elsewhere. You know, every country has their own league cup where the, the amateur levels can, can compete and uh, there's there's some been some great stories uh, and and competitions that have gone on with that. So so yeah, I mean these things all come into play in the 
uh, in the exposure from the grassroots up to the professional level, it's, it's been exciting. Well, women's soccer is huge there. Uh, I'm guessing bigger than men's, at, at least in titles, right? Well, the, the, the women's soccer team is four times world champion. Uh, first time in 91, I'm guessing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And that, that was uh, 31 years, years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, to continue such a such a path in in title is, is a big thing uh, when you talk about 30 years 30 seasons it's at least two generations three generations of of, of players uh, many things change in 30 years uh, how much has changed uh, since that because uh, you've continued to be world champions uh, along the years last time uh, 2018 2019 so it was just around the corner. Uh, yep. So you, you went from uh, 30 years ago world champion to the last world championship champion. So how, how, how do you keep it going? Yeah, and, uh, what's interesting is that, you know, a lot, like I said, a lot of people uh, across the world wouldn't even really understand necessarily what the college model is here with where the combination of sport and academics is, is very strong in our, in our country. And, and there, without, there's no question that uh, that originally that was that was uh, one of the things that that was a foothold for for the women's game in the United States is that is that the universities were responsible essentially in lieu of professional teams the universities themselves were responsible for producing players at, at a high level and it was extremely competitive and. Uh, uh, you know the 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 spirit and the the dedication uh, that comes from people uh, playing for their universities is really remarkable in our country, and that's across across all sports. You know, and probably the most visible are American football and and uh, and basketball, but uh, but certainly, you know, the when the universities are household names like professional teams then you know something special is happening and it's been a model that has allowed uh on the women's side in particular uh the 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 right financing because we have we have very specific laws uh called title nine here that that protect uh and serve uh both genders in terms of uh equal support educationally and equal support uh, in terms of anything uh, that's connected to uh, an academic environment. And so when sports are connected to it, that's created a, an incredible financial stage for, uh, for women's sports. And, and that certainly has uh, been the consistent, you know, feeding ground over the years uh, up into our national ranks because uh, a, a pro league uh, has not existed here that long and the pro leagues financially have have struggled a little bit so uh, so that that couldn't be a necessarily a singular reliable source for for players so the universities have played a, a huge role in that and uh, and that and that continues well yes and and uh, it's it's been quite a ride um, 
do you think that there's a, a, a logic from kids playing uh, and, and, and getting into the, the first team or the college team? Do you think that they are Uh, th th there's, a, there's a logical way uh, on that, like uh, grassroots training uh, until the first team or the college team before the professionals or even the professionals in college. Um, do you think that that's something that's established or not so much? Uh, it's an interesting melange because, uh, because here the club systems are very much a pay-to-play model. I mean, that, that's very typical. Uh, and that You know, so there is massive exposure from a very young age uh, of opportunities for kids to play. Uh, the typical model, uh, the typical model in 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 our country is that is that kids join clubs independent of schools that have more uh, more consistent training and they have professional coaches hired and directors of coaching, similar to an academy model elsewhere. Uh, and, and so that, that's usually the pathway, but along the way, as I mentioned, a lot of kids, uh, continue to play also for their schools because there's a certain, you know, a, a certain sense of spirit and, and local connection, uh, in that sense as well. So a lot of kids play through their high schools and it's from those clubs and high schools that kids get recruited into, uh, various levels of the college game. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it, it can't go without saying that these are great opportunities for kids to get, uh, you know, higher education, uh, some of it paid for by scholarship and, and, uh, but equally, uh, um, uh, you know, for them to have that connection with their university and the sports teams, uh, it creates a, a great experience, uh, across that time as well. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, street soccer, uh, street soccer in the sense of uh, kids playing on their own and organizing themselves uh, on the street, uh, not as much street soccer as a tournament of street soccer, if, if you know what I mean, Yeah. without the adult supervision or uh, teaching or conditioning apart from the mother or grandmother shouting for the kid to go to dinner. Mm -hmm. um, do you still see kids in the United States playing soccer in the streets? Or do you see them playing basketball? Yeah, I think it's way more common with, uh, with basketball. Uh, but uh, it, it's very rare, to, if I'm honest with you, about uh, uh, soccer. Uh, I, I rarely, rarely see... Uh, that and I don't know if it's a, a a safety thing. I don't know if it's a, a just convenience thing. I don't know if it's been sort of a deadening over time because of the the, the club environment where where everything is structured, and so that's everybody's uh, uh, idea of how to improve. Is is that coaching is always required and that you have to be in a, a, a consistent academy setting. I'm, I'm not sure, but, but I think culturally in our country, uh, the only place that we, we really see that is, is in basketball, uh, in my opinion. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that you are a tactic operation fan. 
Yes. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Uh, since you, since you were a player and now that you have that college and also coaching experience, um, do you feel uh, differences between the the the, the methodological uh, path between your your career as a player and now as a coach? Do, do you see the difference in the country the way the coaches see? methodology and i mean what's the mainstream what's the methodological mainstream in the united states and or has it changed along the years yeah no i i think that i think that, that it's really difficult in our country with the size of it to create you know uh certainly a singular idea or or a mainstream but you can imagine that you know the physical side has has truly driven athletics and continues to, uh, and and I don't honestly see that going away. And part of that uh, is is probably born of uh, the extent of track and field here and the Olympics, but but also American football, which is a very extreme power sport, and it's and it, it's it's truly a requirement of the game to add size, to add power, to add muscle for the sake of, of not being fragile because of the, the kind of collisions that, that, the, that the, uh, the athletes have to endure. But obviously that transfers over into other sports that, are, that have been traditionally quite popular like basketball and the idea of continuing to increase size and, and power uh, is, is just a necessity in those sports quite frankly. And, and so, you know, it's the systematic approaches in those respects have have really been uh, uh, making sure that that's part of the overall curriculum. Even if it's trained in isolation, it's distinctly part of the curriculum. Curriculum, and I don't see that going away. I think that there's, you know, it's understood that there's less of a necessity, in particular, for size, meaning muscle girth, uh, in the sport of soccer. So I don't think that it's had the same overall approaches, but but certainly it is still uh, considered an integral part of of training in most uh, in most environments. Uh, uh, if if people are serious about their athletics, swimming as well. Swimming, yeah. yeah. I don't that if that fully answered your <laughs> your question, but uh, uh, going back to your question about the differences that I see, absolutely. Uh, 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 from personal experience, I, I remember, you know, one, one of the expressions in in my generation was "no pain, no gain," which was a really horrible <laughs> uh, yeah. thing to have to experience. Because it, it's not that I didn't understand the spirit of it uh, and and the idea of being resilient and robust and and being able to endure things. And and from that standpoint, of course, I appreciate it and probably gained from it, but. But from the standpoint of being really uh, intuitive about the needs of of the of the team and and individuals within the team, and the idea that there are more efficient and effective ways to just purely make a better team, uh, yeah, a lot of that was easily excused by the 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 idea of the need for the physical and the need for uh, you know just being tough, you know, no pain, no gain. Yes, 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 yes of course. 
we've all been through pre-seasons uh, where we didn't touch the ball even. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah. uh, apart, apart from the medicine ball, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, how, how do you feel uh, that uh, your, your uh, methodological choice Uh, got in touch with, with your girls in the team. The, the, do you feel like they accepted it quite well? Or what were the main difficulties you, you experienced? If any. I think that, yeah, no, I think that, I think that uh, if there's been any difficulties, it's the ones that have grown up in very specific uh, club and high school environments where, where maybe they had a very specific like lifting regimen or they, You know, what's very popular also in our country is people getting personal trainers. So they have a personal trainer that that helps uh, uh, them work on their fitness. And uh, one of the challenges that we have is when we know that based on our game model, based on our ideas and based on position specific, you know, requirements that that, that we envision for players that that sometimes these other methods uh, from personal trainers actually work against the player. Uh, and so it takes some convincing getting them into our environment and working through, you know, our principles, but, but just our daily training, like how systematically we, we try to improve the players. Uh, they start to recognize that they are gaining the fitness levels and the physical requirements that, that before they were, they were sensing that they needed to work on, you know, in isolation, uh, yeah. separate from it. And, and, and it has taken some time, but for the most part, I, there, there's nothing but, uh, but, uh, interest and excitement about that because they, the players then start to recall, you know, sessions that they've done where they've done only fitness work in isolation. And it's really, it's really torture, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that, I think that uh, the, when I reference my own experiences and I, and I recognize how now we're approaching uh, uh, our own training with the methodology, I'm so jealous of my own players that, that I didn't get to improve under this, this methodology uh, by comparison. Yes, yes, I, I completely understand. Um, well, I, I have to know that we are uh, seven minutes away for, for, for we, we still have seven minutes for, for, for this interview. And if any of you listeners have further questions, I have a lot of questions. I just, just don't have time for them, maybe one or two more. But if any of you would like to ask Brian anything, you can get in touch with, with, with us and I'll see that he gets the, your questions and I, I can ask him to, to answer them for you. No problem. So, um, Brian, um, what, what would be your main three advices for me if I were to come to the United States, uh, United States to, to, to coach? Now you've seen a little bit of the Portuguese culture and how we do stuff, how, how we do things, more or less. Uh, more more yeah. than my own uh, of the United States, for sure. But how, how do you, how, what, what would you recommend? Uh, three, three main things for us Portuguese guys or girls to, to go there and coach? I think that, you know, one of the things that I, 
appreciate about the methodology and tactical periodization is that it's not it's not mandating that you coach exactly a certain way and it and there is openness to the idea that uh that each culture and each team is going to have something unique and certainly the things that we've just been talking about uh, uh in the u.s with the you know fitness in isolation and personal trainers and things like that I think that that becomes a big, uh, uh, a big shock, I guess. Uh, and, and some people like it and appreciate it and get excited by it because it's a very commercial thing here as well. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think that you could fully avoid it. Uh, and so I think it's about remaining open and, and, trying to think about, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if the only thing, you know, is the tactical periodization, uh, I think you have to be equally careful about the idea of being completely closed to things that are very ingrained in, in our culture. And one of those things would be the, the physical, uh, the other thing that, that certainly we notice uh, at the university setting and, and when I've been involved with uh, professional teams is uh, travel is immense. You know, it's just such a massive country that, you know, sometimes for matches that we, you know, we, we have to ride on a bus for a couple hours and then we, we're on a flight and then we're on another bus for a couple hours by the time we get there sometimes we're switching two flights just to get to the single destination and and these are things that are are truly truly exhausting that uh that uh oftentimes coaches have never even had to even think about uh because normally they're used to just bus travel like uh you know some of the longest trips we took uh when i was playing in France, for example, or in England were, were, you know, three hours, you know, and for here, that might be a short trip, you know, so yeah. three, three hours might be quite normal, or, you know, four hours, but anything over that, you're probably flying and then also busing uh, to some degree. So the travel is, uh, is extensive and, um, and kind of along with the travel, I suppose, uh, you know, for example, in, in the league that, that my university plays in, uh, our, our conference is called the Mountain West. So that's essentially our league. And there's, there's three teams at sea level and the rest of the teams are all at altitude. And the altitudes vary from uh, 7,500 feet. Uh, you know, uh, you'll have to do the translating in terms of uh, <laughs> meters, but, uh, you know, 7,500 feet uh, to 4,000 feet and kind of everything in between. And, and so for us being at sea level, uh, these are things that are very difficult that, that you have to deal with. And I know, you know, some countries don't deal with that at all. Uh, uh, and other countries might deal with it with a team or two. So those are really, really unique things. So if, if when you're thinking about your morpho cycle and you're, you're, you're measuring out how you're planning out your week with, not only the training, uh, now you're factoring re in really extensive travel and these differences in altitude where there isn't the time to adjust uh, uh, to the altitude. Sometimes these can have great effects on, on your, your training ideas and your time to actually prepare the team. Uh, so those are, those are some of the main ones that come to mind.
um, yeah, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's others, but hopefully yeah. those, those are marked different differences. Yeah, quite, quite, quite interesting. Quite interesting. Well, uh, we're we're about um, right about time to 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 wrap up this. But before that, you know, Philip, like... Philip, sorry, one one more thing that I that I yeah. would to that is is uh, is technology. Like we are we are so so technology reliant and and such technology geeks that we love to have like technology integrated into everything and. Uh, and certainly in video and things like that, uh, uh, those are places where I find that they actually marry quite well with the tactical periodization. Uh, the, the, the other places that are a little bit more unique are things like GPS and heart rate monitoring. And, uh, and we use GPS here at the university. And, uh, uh, and, but I have a completely different sort of, of lens through which I'm looking at the technology of GPS now, uh, since my exposure to the tactical periodization, so that it's more specifically in support of, of our game ideas and the game model and position specific things, as opposed to uh, the, the technology and data for data's sake. So that 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 was worth worth mentioning as well. So yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No, thank you, thank you. It's always very enriching this. Uh, um, how, uh, just to, just to finish, uh, how how was or has been your experience at the professional master with us? It's really been uh, amazing for me, and uh, to give a little background uh, that I think you're aware of, but for the listeners, uh, I was actually exposed to tactical periodization while I was on a, a WEFA course, so it had nothing to do with. The course that I was on, but there was a, a, a Portuguese coach uh, from Benfica named uh, Renato Paiva, who is currently uh, doing very well. He just won a championship in in Ecuador at Independiente del Valle, and uh, he so he's doing very well there. And uh, anyway, it was my introduction to him, and he expressed that I should look very closely into it, and he. He was fortunate to uh, study and uh, observe uh, Carlos uh, Carvajal and uh, at a very young age for himself as a coach. So even though uh, uh, um, for him, the methodology was new, it was for him equally the only methodology that he had actually known, even though it wasn't necessarily from my understanding, it wasn't necessarily fully integrated into uh, the Benfica uh, system overall per se, but that was my personal exposure to it. And, uh, but the problem with that in 2013 was that there was, there was virtually no material for me to really study it. And so it's been a, a massive hunt the whole time for me since then. <laughs> and it's very difficult to find things in English. It's very difficult to find things that have been translated particularly well in English. Uh, it's been, uh, and a lot of the things, uh, unfortunately, had also been kind of bastardized along the way by coaches that have kind of taken this bit from it and that bit from it. Um, and, and they've made sense of it in their own working and their own methodology, which is totally totally fair, uh, but 
what it left me with was I felt like a very incomplete uh, uh, understanding of the tactical periodization. And, and it wasn't until I actually entered the masters that I had truly, uh, I, I've truly been able to synthesize and, and, and put all the things that I had learned correctly or incorrectly over the years, but into, uh, into place so that it has become a true working methodology for me that, that now I have a, a significantly deeper understanding of, and I'm still trying to improve and learn on it. You know, uh, I don't, I don't pretend to be a, a master of it, but, but my understanding is, is significantly enriched since uh, being involved with the, with the, with the master program. And uh, you know, and, and that's really down to the educators, you know, they've been not only uh, clear and, uh, uh, and extremely comprehensive, but they've also been extremely friendly and, uh, and helpful. And just, you can sense the joy uh, that, the, that, the, that the professor gets in, in sharing as well as, and I mean, professor uh, fraud, uh, and you don't have to speak Portuguese to understand his passion and uh, and 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 just get such a a joy from uh, being involved in it, uh, but but certainly that translates into uh, the other uh, educators that are involved in the in the program, and some of whom are 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 clearly working at the highest level and and being very successful with it. So again, the exposure to multiple levels, multiple environments. Uh, uh, all these things have been extremely enriching uh, for me. I'm very, I've been very grateful. Okay. Well, I, I remember something. Uh, we seem that we, 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 we're away from, from ending this, but not that much, right? We really have to end this. But I remember that you mentioned Carlos Carvalhal, and before that you were mentioning some cultural differences. And I remember a story that he told us, I think you were there, one of his classes, where he told us a big mistake that he did and he regretted it so, so much and for so long, uh, which was um, when, he, when he went coaching into to Greece and the physical culture there was also very, very strong and very present at the club. And the first thing he did, because it was a, a big uh, thing for him, was to lock down the, the, the gym door. You remember that? <laughs> Yeah, and he immediately regretted it because it was such a shock for for the players that he lost the group there. Yeah, uh, and he always says, well, "Man, I miss the, those classes. I miss those classes from the professor where he told about coffee and milk, coffee and milk." Coffee yes, and uh, it was it was a really good story. He's a he's a special guy. No, and I I, I remember the story uh, really well, and you you could clearly see how. What a what a learning lesson that was for him as a as a young coach. But yes. uh, but you can't you can't go to the birthplace of the Olympics and think that athletics isn't going to be important, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's on Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brian, we really have to finish this. Well, I hope to see you soon, and it was an absolute pleasure to have you with us. And I hope uh, this meets the expectation of all our listeners. And thank you so much for being here. I uh, hope to see you really soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's great to see you as well. And, and uh, good luck with the, with the rest of it. And keep wishing me luck finishing up the, the rest of the course. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
Okay, bye-bye, everyone. By the way, my name is Philippe Moraes, and I'll be with you shortly for another episode of Tactical Acquisition Moments. Thank, thank you so much again, Brian. Hope to see you soon. Take care and stay safe.